Ah, this ought to be fun, huh? Yeah. Pastor's preaching about a donkey who talked, and he's obviously had rotator cuff surgery and is probably still under the influence of narcotics. (laughs) This ought to be awesome, right? How many of you came today just because you already knew I had rotator cuff surgery and you were waiting for me to say something wrong? Good. I know you're like, what are the odds he's going to teach my kids the other word for donkey today, the King James version of it? No, no. I, I, I got this, okay? I'm, I promise. I haven't had any uh, narcotics for several days. Um, had a torn rotator cuff, torn bicep, and some bone spurs, and I've had it for a while. Uh, probably <laughs> she goes back to... Uh, my midlife crisis 10 years ago, back when I was in midlife crisis, I had a Harley and I was riding and I hit some gravel and I went down and broke my collarbone um, and uh, didn't tell my mom about it for two months after that because uh, she's in the audience. So I knew she didn't want to know, you know, she, until it got better, but probably started there. Then I fell again in December, like after Christmas, I fell again on my shoulder. Evidently, I'm at that age where we just fall a lot, you know, so I'll have hip replacement surgery soon. I don't know what else is coming. Um, Um, But, uh, you know, the doctor said, look, you're going to know when it's time to get this done. And I knew it was time to get it done. So I had surgery on Monday down at Rush. The official doctor of the White Sox, you can take that however you want, you know, hoping that I have a good long win record with this. But we'll see what happens. And, um, you know, it's fine. It's really, really doing good. It's just a little bit weird. I was trying to do quotation marks in the last service, and I realized that that's hard when you're in a sling, but I just try to ignore it, okay, and um, uh, you'll see me in this for a few weeks. Next weekend's Mother's Day. You don't want to miss that, uh, you know, about being a sling if I'm following doctor's orders, and I won't if I'm not, but, but, but it's not going to affect anything. Let's talk about talking donkeys today, all right? You realize how much of our language is based on the animal kingdom. Um, I mean, it, it makes sense going together like this. Like, let's just fill in the blank. What is this? Quiet as a mouse, right? Slow as a turtle. Okay, you got it. Eat like a pig, horse, ox, whatever you want to go with, right? Dumb as a... The guy said bunny last night. I'm not kidding. I'm really? No, no. Dumb as an ox. Come on. Quick as a fox, right? We're going to keep rhyming. Memory like a elephant. You got it. Mean as a junkyard. Bad, bad Leroy Brown. You're right. You got it. Okay. Uh, floats like a butterfly. Stings like a... Okay. How about this one? Um, Shrewd as, yeah, that's what I thought. This was in the Bible and Jesus said it, but whatever, okay. I understand. I kind of figured that's what was going to happen, okay. While animals usually uh, enhance our vocabularies, usually they don't have their own vocabulary, do they, right? I mean, the whole Dr. Doolittle thing is crazy. And yet, one of the Stranger Things, and if you're new, what we're doing is the Stranger Things is a big, big series on Netflix, a huge, you know, response to this whole idea that there's a supernatural realm that goes on like at the same point in the realm that we're in now. There's another realm of things that are going on. So we've talked about some of the crazy stories in the Bible. Next week, Mother's Day, we're going to talk about Hannah, who was not able to have a, a child and, and a stranger thing happen. And we're going, to, we're going to be celebrating Mother's Day next week. This one is about a talking animal. And of all things, it's a talking donkey. 
Uh, probably a lot of you didn't know that, and I get that. It's okay, and you could take this however you want. You could take it as an allegory if you want, but I believe that miracles and supernatural things are going on all around us, and I'll explain the story. You do whatever you want. All right, children of Israel, they've left Egypt. They're getting ready to go into, they're going into the promised land, all right? Moses has led them around in the desert for 40 years, and they're going into the promised land. And, and there are probably two million of them, all right? Picture this. As they've been wandering around, they've been multiplying. They were multiplying while they were in Egypt. There's a whole pile of these people, millions of these people that are invading into this promised land territory. And the, the kings of the territory that is there already realize, uh-oh, we got a bunch of, you know, we got an immigration problem here getting ready to happen, and, and we better figure out what is going, what we're going to do with this. And the kings of Canaan, who are all bad guys doing bad things to bad people over and over, again, bad things to good people, bad things, period, were trying to figure out what they were going to do as the children of Israel are invading them, okay? King of Moab is seeing this, and he calls on a prophet, okay? A prophet of God named Balaam. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Balaam, um, but he's mentioned a lot. He's mentioned three times in the New Testament as a guy who was rejecting God, right? So it seems like he is some kind of a... He was at one time maybe a powerful uh, prophet for God, and people realized that he had a connection to the stranger things, to the thing, to the supernatural, and yet at some point he has sold out. Anyway, the king of Moab, who is a bad dude, decides he wants to try to figure out what to do, and he wants to call upon the supernatural. A people have come out of Egypt, they cover the land, and they have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that you bless those who are blessed and you curse those you curse are cursed. This is a message he sends to Balaam. All right? When a military leader faces the unknown, they almost always turn to the supernatural. I don't think that's a bad thing. When a pro sports team gets ready for battle, right? A lot of them have prayer, right? I got to do a chapel for the Chicago Bears one time, back when Lubby Smith was the coach and they were, you know, still doing that. Um, they asked me to come down. It was really cool. We gathered all these guys together, had a little lesson. We did this little prayer thing, and uh, they lost. <laughs> so I was never invited back. But I... I I don't think that's my deal, okay? I mean, really, come on, it was the bears. I mean, let's, let's, it's, uh, you do whatever you want, okay? But, but the idea of deciding to do something for God and, and you realize you need to call upon God, uh, I mean, we're all there. My, uh, my parents, my uh, aunt, my 93-year-old aunt are in this service today. And uh, my cousins from Arkansas, they're up visiting. I've told you before the story of my uncle, who she was married to for 74 years until he passed away last year. Give, give, him, give him applause for that, will you? We're talking about you. He was in a foxhole on Morakai Island in the Philippines in World War II and literally had one of those times where he was like, uh-oh, I mean... Things were going to happen. The, the, the CO told them they weren't going to probably come back alive. And he had that foxhole thing, him and God, calling upon God, saying, God, I'm going to give you my life 
if, if you get me out of here. And he did, obviously. And, and he came home, and really one of the big reasons why I'm in ministry today and, and my mom and my family, a big reason why those things happen is because God saved him out of that moment, and he did what he said he was going to do, and he followed up on it. There's nothing wrong with being in a situation where you're like, uh-oh, this bad thing is going to happen. I remember now there's a God up there. I remember now that there's supernatural things up there. I, I, far, I kind of forgot about it, but right now it's important to me. I'm going to go back to it. Even the king of Moab tries to do this. Okay? However, he didn't want to bless his efforts. He wanted to curse these people. Really weird story. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. Now, this ought to tell us a whole lot about who Balaam is. Okay? A fee for divination. What does that mean? Well, divination was a word in the Old Testament that was about just talking to the spirits in general. It was about spiritism, okay? It's about consulting the dead, and it was forbidden in the Bible, but evidently Balaam is like a prophet of whatever he can find, okay? And he charges a fee. So that kind of tells us a whole lot. If Balaam was ever a prophet of God who called upon the supernatural God for help for people, at this point he has degraded himself into mysticism, into materialism. So what does he say? Spend the night here and I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. He should have just said, no, go away. You need to get out of here. But he wanted to play the system. This is how I'm interpreting the story. He wanted to see how things were going to go. I don't think Balaam would have known the supernatural if it would have risen up and bit him, which it's about ready to do in just a moment in this story. But I think he went into his room and he decided, oh God, what should I do? Should I curse the Israelites? And God spoke to him and it probably freaked him out because he wasn't expecting it to happen. Like none of us are expecting stranger things to happen. But God said to Balaam, don't go with these people. You must not put a curse on these people, my people, because they are blessed. Balaam already knows this. If you back up the story, Balaam's a prophet of God. He already knows this. He already knows that God has said to Abraham, these people's forefather, he has already said to them, I'm going to bless you and your descendants, and whoever curses them, I will curse he already knows this. So at first he makes the right decision. The next morning, got up, said to the king's men, you guys go on back to your own country because the Lord has refused to allow me to go with you. Is that what happens to you when temptation to do the wrong thing happens? Do you just say, all right, go away, and then it goes away? It's not usually like that. So then... Temptation comes back. The king sent other princes, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what the king says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. The king thought everyone had a price. And again, Balaam's response was the correct response. But Balaam answered them. I just want you to see this scripture because this would make a great plaque for your wall if you didn't actually know the rest of the story. Balaam answered them. Even if the king gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. 
Doesn't that sound great? Yeah, that would be so great. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It would be really great if he meant it. So what does he do? Does he say, okay, you give me all the money you want, but I'm not going to do anything against God. Now go home? (laughs) No, no. Here's what he says. Now stay here tonight, as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. What else is the Lord going to tell you? Do you think the Lord's going to change his mind? Do you really believe that statement, Balaam? Because if you really believed it, you'd say, bye-bye, get out of here. I don't need to talk to you anymore. You wouldn't say, but just in case he changes his mind, why don't you come in? It was like the preacher who got an offer from a bigger church that would double his salary. He told his wife, listen, I'm going to go down to my study to pray about it. You go upstairs and pack. You know? The best way to beat temptation is to run away from it at the beginning. You understand this, right? Turn it off. Change the channel. Get, don't be around that person. That's how these things are supposed to work. There's no sense in praying about things that we already know God has told us not to do. What part of no don't you understand? The old Arkansas preacher used to say, if you don't intend to go in the house and stay off the porch... Somebody give me an amen for that. That's, that's good. That's good. Pre- you see what I'm saying? But God let him go. God said, well, you, if, if, you want him, if you want to go, Balaam, here's the deal. I'm going to let you go. All right? Somewhere in the conversation, Balaam's like, look, you can go with him if you want. God didn't, he didn't stop Balaam because he never stops us. He didn't stop David from Bathsheba. He didn't stop Job from running. He didn't, he didn't stop any of Jonah from running. He didn't stop anybody from doing the things that were wrong Because he gives us free will and he will give you free will. So Balaam gets up in the morning. Balaam got up the next morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. The sad fact of the case is the donkey proves to be more sensitive to the stranger things than the prophet does. But God was very angry when he went. I don't know how the whole situation went. Either God said, you go if you want to, and God was like, you know, you know I don't want you to, so do the right thing. And he was mad because Balaam didn't do the right thing. Or Balaam knew, or God knew the condition of Balaam's heart, and he knew what was going to happen in Balaam's heart, and he knew that he was a crooked prophet, and then he was probably going to get to Moab and not do what he was supposed to do. One way or another, we know that God was mad at Balaam for going. And here's where it gets fun. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. I think it's funny that it was a she-donkey, because she was uh, more intuitive to the spiritual things. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. All right? Some animals have... Different intuition, right? Bats have sonar. Um, you know, dogs have sensitive ears. Hawks have great vision. But a spiritually discerning animal, that is strange, right? And of all things, a donkey. A donkey can see what a prophet can't. The supernatural is there, right in front of them. An angel. And his sword was drawn. And the donkey sees the angel and wisely turns off into a field, and Balaam beats the donkey for it. 
And the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the two vineyards with walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord this time, she pressed close to a wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat her again. I think you can understand the frustration if you've ever worked with an uncooperative animal. I know you're all city folks, but you get the idea, right? Any cat owners out there, all right? You know, you, you don't get a cat to do what you want a cat to do, and it's frustrating. Heard an old story about a Quaker, pacifist Quaker who had a rebellious cow. Every day the cow was like kicking over the milk can and slapping him with his tail and never going where it was supposed to go. So frustrating. Finally, he says to the cow, he says one day, he says, Thou knowest that I am a Quaker and a pacifist and I cannot strike thee. What thou dost not know is that tomorrow I'm going to sell thee to a Catholic. Then the angel, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Where's the humane society? What's going on here, right? But this is, this is when the stranger thing happens. This is so great. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, what? What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? I don't know, is it Italian? What have I done to you? What kind of an accent did the donkey have? I don't know. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? What have I done? Okay, I know. It's like there's a talking donkey in the Bible? I mean, that whole Jonah and the whale thing, I thought that was the weirdest story in the Bible. Oh, no, there's a whole bunch of weird ones. And again, if you, you want to take it as an allegory, it's fine with me. But, but I believe it happened because I don't think it's unreasonable to think that a God who created the universe couldn't speak through a donkey. I mean, he created the donkey. He created language. If God could speak through a burning bush, what's the difference? If God could break the ultimate law of nature and raise the dead, what's so hard about this? Please understand, natural laws do not govern a supernatural God. It's very important you understand that. The strangest part of this whole miracle to me is that Balaam doesn't appear to even be shocked by it. He just carries on a conversation with his donkey. (laughs) Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Isn't this great? The donkey is defending his record. Like, hey, I've been a good donkey. Am I normally disobedient? I deserve better than this. And by the way, did you notice you're talking to a donkey? (laughs) Evidently not. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, so he bowed low and he fell face down. And the angel of the Lord said, why did you beat your donkey three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. That's close to home, isn't it? The donkey saw me and turned away these three times. If she had not turned away, I would have killed you by now and spared her. Balaam said 
to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. If you're displeased, I will go back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, no, I want you to go with the men now, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak, the king of Moab. And when Balaam, end of the story, arrives at the palace, the king urged him to place a curse on God's children. But Balaam, by this point, has finally learned his lesson. Four times he tries to get Balaam to change his mind. But I guess after you've seen an angel with a sword drawn and you've had a conversation with a donkey, you start to figure out not to go against the will of God. Finally, he learned his lesson. So what do we learn from this story? Okay, that's, that's uh, I mean, it's a great stranger things story. What, what do we learn? Mulling this over this week, and please know this up front. Every once in a while, somebody will say, you know, PT, God really spoke through you today. And I never get a big head about it because I always remember God spoke through a donkey one time, so no big deal, right? This is all about him, okay? But, but here's two things, just two things from the story that are important to me. The first one is this. God has already spoken, okay? He's already given us a whole lot of stuff. God has already told us a whole lot of stuff that we should already know. We probably already know. Most of us are educated way beyond our level of obedience, Balaam already knew what he was supposed to do. He already knew he wasn't supposed to curse the children of God. He already knew the king of Moab was a bad dude. It didn't matter how much money he had. And what I'm saying is, I don't think there's nearly as much rocket science involved in the process of following God as we make it out to seem. This is why I'm a terrible counselor. Don't, I'm not going to counsel you, okay? You don't want me to counsel you. You're going to come to me and tell me your problem and ask me what you should do. I'm going to cock my head sideways and I'm going to say, what do you think you ought to do? And 99 times out of 100, you're going to tell me what you already know that you ought to do. Or you're going to tell me what you already know you ought not to do. And I'm going to say, okay, go do it. Get out of my office. We're done. I mean, we have pastoral counselors here. Don't get me wrong. If you've got problems, we want to help you. But that's why I'm so bad at it. I have Dave Ramsey here this week. We have Dave Ramsey here. Guy on the radio, money guru, okay? You know, I mean, big, big time radio uh, money guru. He's here to do entree leadership on Friday. I think we still have some tickets available for that if you want to come. Uh, Thursday night sold out, marriage and money thing. He's on the radio. If you don't know Dave Ramsey, he's on the radio all across the country, uh, three hours a day talking to people. And I can't figure out why Dave Ramsey is still on the radio. I can't figure it out. How many times do you have to say, don't spend more money than you make. But that's what he does every day. All right. Hey, Dave. Yeah, I got a job. I make nine bucks an hour, man. I'm doing good. Making the minimum payments on my $45,000 in credit card debt. I'm doing all right. Plus, my mama left me some stock in United Airlines, so I think I'm doing real good. I'm thinking about getting me a new car. I can't decide between one of them Lexuses or one of them new electric Tesla cars. What do you think, Dave? Three hours a day. You know why Dave Ramsey's on the radio? Because you can't see his facial expressions on the radio. <laughs> a lot of things, 
a lot of things are not cut and dry. I get that. But, but I'm just talking to me. Sometimes I already know the answers. Usually I already know the answers. And here's what happens. When I start trying to figure out the justifications and I start trying to figure out how to weave my way around a certain situation, every once in a while I think, huh, I wonder if a donkey's going to talk to me pretty soon. Okay. Here's your Twitter moment for the day. I know you've been waiting for this. Get your phones out. This is it. God might not need to speak through my donkey if I would quit being one. <laughs> Can I get an amen from you? Come on. Let's just be honest, you guys. This is, this, I'm in the same boat. God might, you know, there, there's a whole lot of stuff that I, I very rarely read through the Bible and go, huh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to lie. That's crazy. Right? I mean, you get this. This is important. Whatever it is that you're thinking about doing that you know is not in the will of God, whatever it is that you're thinking about not doing that you know is in the will of God, God might not need to speak through my donkey if I'd quit being one. That's the story, exactly the story of Balaam. I was reading in my own Bible time this, this week, Moses is getting ready to send the children of Israel into the promised land. And here's what he tells them. He says, see, I've taught you my decrees taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all of these decrees and they will say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Not only that, but teach them to your children and to their children after them. Why? Because the more you know about the things that God wants you to do, the less donkey talking that needs to happen. And the faster you get on the track where God wants you to be. The second thing out of this, though, is that whole supernatural part. God is currently speaking. God didn't just go back up into heaven 2,000 years ago after the Bible got completed and is just waiting around for us. There are stranger things going on all around us. Unfortunately, I just don't think we're listening. My friend Gene Apple used this story at Thanksgiving, so forgive me, but if you, if you missed it, i gotta, I got to give it again. Great story about listening to God from Tony Campolo. He says, it's a Pentecostal college near Eastern College where I teach, and I love to, I love to speak there because they're just a great audience. I don't speak in tongues, but I talk fast, so it works out okay. One day they invited me to speak at a chapel service, and it was just dynamic, happy people, so I did. And just before I spoke, eight guys took me into the back room of the chapel and got me down on my knees. And they laid their hands on my head, and they prayed for me. And that was good, because I need all the prayer I can get. There was only one problem. These guys prayed a long time. A long, long time. And that's usually okay too, but the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned on my head. And I want to tell you, eight guys leaning on your head doesn't feel so good. One guy wasn't even praying for me at all. Instead, he went on and on praying for some guy named Charlie Stolfitz. He just shouted, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolfitz. He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side of the road. And I felt like saying, knock it off. You think God's up there trying to go, wait, wait, what's the address? I don't know where he is. He went on and on. Lord, 
Charlie told me this morning he decided to leave his wife and his three kids. He told me he was walking out on his family. Lord, step in and do something. Bring the people of the family back together again. All the while, I'm just kneeling there with eight guys leaning on my head. I'm asking myself, when is this guy going to knock it off and get these Pentecostal preachers off my head? Just going on about Charlie Stolfitz and his silver trailer down the road, right-hand side. Finally, the prayers are over. I go to the pulpit. I preach. I finish. I get in my car. I drove the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and I headed for home. And as I drove onto the Turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. Now, I know you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher Whenever I get it, anybody locked in as a captive audience, I'm going to do it. So I stopped, and I picked him up. After a couple of miles, I said, my name's Tony Campolo. What's yours? He said, my name is Charlie Stolfitz. I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit, and I headed back. He got a little bit uneasy with that. After a few minutes, he said, uh, mister, where are you taking me? And I said, I'm taking you home. His eyes narrowed and he said, why? I said, it's because you left your wife and three kids today, didn't you, Charlie? He said, yeah, that's right. And with shock written all over his face, Compolo said, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off of me. I drove off the turnpike at the next exit, and then I really did him in as I drove right down the road, a mile down the road, to his silver trailer on the right-hand side of the road. When I pulled up, his eyes were bulging, and he said, how did you know I live here? I said, God told me. Because I believe God did tell me. We got out of the car. I told him to get in the trailer. Half shaking, he answered, okay, mister, sure, sure. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered something in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down, I'm going to talk, and you're going to listen. Man, did they listen. That afternoon, I led those two people to Jesus Christ, and today that guy is a preacher of the gospel out in California. <laughs> I love that story. He didn't have any choice but to listen because he had eight guys leaning on his head. Balaam didn't have any choice to listen because his donkey was speaking, okay? But the problem is, like we talked about at Easter, if you were here at Easter, you got Mary Magdalene, this devoted disciple of Jesus who sees angels in the tomb and doesn't realize that they're angels. And then Jesus shows up and she doesn't realize it's Jesus, because many of us tend to be completely oblivious to the stranger things that are going on all around us. And you guys, if you, you know me. You know I'm not one of those guys looking for angels and demons everywhere. Oh, the light turned red. Must be a demon. No, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. You know that. But I do believe that the supernatural is all around us. So why don't we see it more often? Let me take you back to another one of those stranger things moments where God spoke through a burning bush. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian, and he led them to the far side of the desert, desert and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, this is the important part, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. 
John Ortberg pointed this out. The, the, the thing that we miss about this story is how long would it take for you to watch a bush that was on fire and realize that it wasn't burning up? I mean, how long does it take a bush to burn up? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? I, I don't know. But the difference is Moses saw the bush and he stopped for five or 10 or 15 minutes until he realized that there was a supernatural moment going on. And then he said, I'm going to look at this site while the bush does not burn up. And he realizes it's not being consumed. And it's only when he's stopped and paid attention to this thing that's going on that God says, Moses, I've got some work to do. No cell phone ringing. There's no emails he has to respond to. No Facebook posts to push. Just a little bit of concerted effort, a little bit of concentration. No eight Pentecostal preachers leaning on his head. No donkey talking to him. Just a little bit of time to figure out that God had something for him to do. How hard would that be? Rabbi Kushner says, the burning bush was not a miracle. It was a test. God wanted to find out whether or not Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. And when Moses did, that's when God spoke. The trick is to pay attention to what is going on around you long enough to behold the miracle. Wow. Listen, God might not need to speak through my donkey if I quit being one, okay? God might also not need to speak through my donkey if I'd slow down long enough to listen. I mean, where do you think I'm at this week? You know I'm type A, ADHD, off the charts, right? What have I had to do all week ever since Monday? I've had to sit around with an ice pack on my shoulder. Sometimes that's not so bad. Sometimes... And I don't think God made my rotator cuff be messed up. Don't don't get me wrong. But sometimes it's not bad to have to take some time to actually listen to what God wants to tell you. This is why we do communion in our service every weekend here. Um, A lot of people, it's not that easy to do. But we do it because we want to remember what Jesus did, obviously. But it also forces every one of us for at least a couple of minutes to stop and maybe hear from God. So I'm going to pray right now. We're going to turn it over to our campus pastors for communion after that. I'm going to pray right now. And then we're going to spend just a minute waiting, listening, a little music playing in the background for you to have some time to listen, just listen to see what God has to say. Maybe for you, it's going to be the first thing. It's going to be like, Oh, I guess I have been being a donkey because I know that I shouldn't be this or I know that I should be doing this. Maybe that'll be your moment or maybe it's a moment where you just really need to sit and listen. Just sit and pay attention to the burning bush for just a few minutes and see what God has to say. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship a supernatural God. Man, I, there wouldn't be any reason for us to be here. We talked about this at Easter. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then our faith is hopeless. And if there's resurrection from the dead, then why wouldn't I think that 
that things are going on all around me that, that you're trying to communicate in ways that I'm not paying attention to. And the busier and the crazier our life gets, the harder and harder it is for you to get your message across. It won't surprise me if a donkey speaks at some point along the way. Because we're busy, we're hurried. We have things to do, places to go. Lord, will you just give us a few minutes so that we can stop and listen? Maybe we've been like Balaam, disobeying things that we knew you'd already given us to do. Or maybe we're like Moses, we just need to stop and listen. But whatever happens right now, it's you and us. Let it be a supernatural moment. And I ask these things in your name.